Well, hello and welcome to episode number 372 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show, Ryanair gets maxed out. A Boeing 787 bows down before staff at London Heathrow and one airline gives you the chance to fly on the Queen of the Skies to sunny old Mallorca. In the military this week, uh, the US Air Force has a way to convert commercial-grade Jet A fuel to military-grade JP-8. Numerous aircraft land in Morocco for an exercise, and the US Marines explain that they may have shaken California awake, and we get a quick UK, uh, UK warbird update. So joining me this week in the PTUK studio, which I'm pleased to say this week is at least 20 degrees less temperature-wise than it was last Friday, it's Matt Smith. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. Greetings and salutations. Uh, Carlos, I'm just going to trouble you to flick the light switch on next to you because oh, I forgot to do there that. We there we go. I'll tell you what, it's, it's yeah. safe to say that in the last, what, week, yes. we've gone from... Warped from summer to uh, monsoon season. Right. Yes, here in, in like, you know, 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, you've got Ooh, a slightly funny hat slightly there, funny touch, yeah. <laughs> I'll adjust that at some Ooh, point. Oh, I've got uh, all funny. No, change, uh, no comment. No, no comment. No. <laughs> oh, dear. Matt will play with that in yeah, post indeed. or something. No, no. Can't do it in post. Got to fix it now. Got to fix it on. now. Okay, fix it now. Carry on like nothing's so, wrong. So, <laughs> welcome uh, to uh, to you, Matt. Glad to, do, uh, to be back in the studio as always this week. And Matt's enjoying a vanilla stout this week, just I so am. everyone knows. Yes. Yes, he's trying a stout just for a change. Indeed. So Nev can't be with us this evening, unfortunately. He is uh, very busy indeed uh, doing kind of sort of techy stuff, um, Nev is. So he can't be with us, um, but uh, we miss you, Nev. So he'll be back hopefully next week. But uh, as with the contract agreements with Armando, we have got Armando with us this week. So welcome, Armando. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are in the world. And yes, contractually, Nev isn't here, which means I have to show up. Very well. <laughs> How do I get that in my contract? Hang on. When can I not show up? When's that allowed? <laughs> well, Nev and I are splitting the proceeds in there, our salary, actually. Oh, wow. Hang on. Oh. Hang on. They get salary? Hang on. <laughs> yes. I, wish, I wish to complain. I wish to complain. Well, to be yeah, fair, Matt, we get sausage dude. rolls. What is it? Complaints at APG show. Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whichever one it is that generates the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whichever yeah. one it is that generates the most emails for them, really. Uh, <laughs> so, how are things? Uh, how are things in the world of Armando? What uh, What have you been up to this week? Well, as you guys talked about last week on the show, because I do actually listen to the show when I'm not on it. Wow, uh, it's been really, really busy. Yeah, it's uh, lots of flying. The last week, I was. I think we're going to talk about it here in a second in the weekly roundup, but. The last, uh, actually, 10 days, I was out at, at Reno, at Reno State Airport for the Pylon Racing Seminar, working out there. And other than that, just uh, all the usual stuff, kind of all the uh, domestic house duties, as well as some skydive flying, did some civil air patrol flying. So just been super busy. Wow. Go. Good, good news. Everyone's very pleased, look. So I've mended your hat, look. More, uh, thank you. Yeah. More, uh, more hours in the. Uh, do you actually put these the, the hours that you're flying on all these different aircraft? Do they go into your uh, to your book, your logbook, or or not, Armando? Or do you, have you sort of stopped doing that? This is a great question for our guest that we're going to have a little bit later <gasps> on. But the program that I use here in the states for flight um, actually has a logbook function in it. So mm, I have. Okay. I don't know. Th- there are many schools of thought on this. But I have stopped updating my paper logbook, and 
I only update my four flights. So it automatically imports the flights that I do. Um, so yes, I do flight plan on four flight, the app, and then I execute the flight. And then that flight goes right into my logbook, which is all digital now. Mm. I do wow. print it off every couple months just to have a paper copy. But uh, yeah, I do. I track everything. Wow. Oh, it'll be interesting to uh, to hear uh, your thoughts when we have our guest Rob on later. Rob will be joining us uh, around about 8 o'clock, so just on an hour's time. Rob will be joining us from Sky Demon. So for any of you guys and girls who are listening or watching the show uh, and you are a GA pilot who uses Sky Demon for your flight planning, uh, Rob will be joining us from Sky Demon a little bit later on in the show, so keep your questions ready uh, for Rob. But mm. uh, I'm going to say a quick hello to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. All the usual family members in there, Captain Cruz. We've got Nick Codling, uh, Richard Adams, Jonathan Warner's in there this week, oh. and <laughs> Matt's favourite person, and <laughs> Masha's also in Mr. the chat Mr. Warner room. is off my Christmas card list, and you'll see why in just a moment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mazus Karim is also in there. Hello to you, Mazus. Hope you're well. Sasha is in as well this evening. Welcome to you, Sasha. Paul Tricker. Hello to you, Paul. One of our local listeners, Paul. Good to see you in there this week. Uh, Alex Robinson. Hello, Alex. Uh, how are you? Oh, how's the old um, throwing yourself around like a lunatic going? Oh. <laughs> That's what it's so, called, was it? Yeah. What do they call it? What's the official word, Armando? Flying like a man. You know, when you, when you fly yourself around like an absolute lunatic in a, in a perfectly functioning aircraft. I think that's just called a pilot. Oh, oh right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, also, uh, hello to our main man, Uncle Micah. Hello oh, to you, Micah, Micah, joining us this evening. And he's, also, he's my favourite of all the APGers. <laughs> we, can. we can't pick can. favourites. I'm being told off by John for picking a favourite. I can. I can pick a favourite. And we've also You're got... Right to, yeah, sorry. <laughs> just shutting your door. And uh, Sturman, hello to you, Garth, as well. He's in the chat room. Welcome to you as well. And we've got... Brandon Plainspotter23 joining cool. us. So hello to you, Brandon, um, as well. Don't forget, if you don't already do it and uh, you've forgotten to or you just haven't had time to do it, make sure if you're watching us through uh, YouTube or you're listening to us through the audio podcast, uh, take yourselves over to YouTube and find us on Airplane Talking UK. Hit that subscribe button. And also, uh, don't forget to click on the bell icon, which is right next door, to be notified when we are live, like we are now, and recording new episodes. So you can join us in the glorious chat room because we'd love to have you in the chat room now in hd everyone. now in hd <laughs> yes exactly exactly but okay then we got a yes we yes we, we have um we've had a picture this week um if i just lean down here not not to get the picture just to pick up my hat off the floor um we had a picture sent into the show this uh, week from uh, listener jonathan warner and who's officially um, off my christmas card list i want to you may remember uh, a few weeks back we were talking about uh, matt having uh, going skydiving and doing a skydive and there was a you lot of you in the I chat room that night who very, very uh, graciously uh, want to do a, a GoFundMe page to enable Matt to do that skydive. And uh, last week, you may remember, Matt was talking about buying, uh, purchasing a new Hoover uh, for his home. Um, pleased to say that Matt has brought the Hoover. He's got a brand new Don't Hoover. Like and uh, he's, uh, we're pleased to say that he's actually done the skydive no, as well. And we actually have no. a picture here no, uh, of Matt that was sent in by Jonathan Warner mm. of Matt doing said skydive. And uh, great picture here, action shot, uh, watching the other you watching on YouTube. We'll be able to see that. As you can see there, that was taken at uh, around about uh, 12,000 feet as Matt was... 
uh, flying through the sky. You can all on Mondo. Pack it in. And uh, <laughs> you can see Matt there was uh, was showing off his new Hoover uh, whilst uh, doing his jump. So uh, well done to you, uh, Matt, for that skydive. I also lost about five stone in that picture, which I'm, which is the thing I'm most excited about. Well, I, 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 I just hope you cleaned the air while you were there. You know, I'm sure it's. Uh, yeah, wow, really? Done. Are you really going there? Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yes. That's enough of that. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that, Jonathan Warner. Very no, much appreciate. Not thank you for that, Armando. Um, uh, not Armando. It's nothing to do with Armando. Mr. Warner. Mr. Warner. I don't like you anymore. You're off my Christmas card list. It's there official. we go. It's official. Uh, so moving swiftly on because we have got to push. Oh, and he just texts me of before our guest. Of course he has. Yes. Uh, don't forget uh, we've got our caption. This uh, we're going to actually talk about that now. That is so. the, I don't know if that's going to work. Just just try and just pop oh, that. Hold on. <laughs> that is the smuggest There's... look I've ever seen on a person's face in my entire life. Mr. Warner laughing there. <laughs> right, anyway, yes, carry on. Uh, lots of love in the chat room for that picture, by the way. Yeah, I bet. Um, Paul Tricker says extreme hoovering with Matt Smith. Uh, that is the future, I think. Uh, uh, Richard Adams, Adams says sky surfing, no less. Very impressive. So, right. well okay. done. Uh, our caption <laughs> this. <laughs> I'm not talking to any of you. You're all the picture will disowned. be available on no, our social media later. No, uh, so the caption is that we run every week on our Facebook page. Uh, this week has absolutely gone mental. Uh, we've had uh, a heck of a lot of uh, um, well views on our caption this this week on facebook for those of you who follow us on facebook we know that every wednesday we post a picture for you to comment on just for fun uh, with the funniest comments we'll read out on air on tonight's show so we um had a picture this week if matt will put that on the screen for those of you watching on youtube and uh, uh armando if you want to give us a quick description for our for our audio listeners of what this picture is yeah square peg round hole so, let's yes, see. so first of all, Carlos, can you identify what aircraft that actually is? That is an L-1011 TriStar. It is oh, an L-1011. Yeah. Can you just barely <laughs> make out why it's an L-1011? But it is the right engine on an L-1011, uh, which is surprisingly large and large enough to fit a LD3? sideways shipping container mm-hmm. or one of the baggage containers. Oh, um, bag- I thought it was like the, the, like the food trolley or something yeah i'm sure that uh, i'm pretty sure it's an ld3 or probably get someone saying a chat but they're the ones that they can slide literally in through the door and then push along the interior of the uh body of the the aircraft yeah exactly so it's about the same diameter as the engine inlet the rb211 have been uh yeah rb211 there you go and and it seems to have uh wedged itself pretty good in there so i don't know uh, carlos you want to take the the first one yep so the first one came in from john uh john says delta airlines engineers idea of a fan extractor fitted to the outside toilet is proving problematic and alarming some passengers well quite that would have been great because it does look like the outhouse on the mag dog Oh, the outside toilet. Of course, yes, that's right. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Sorry. Let go. Uh, you got the next one, Armando? Yeah, Bob says, test successful. Square box does not go into the round hole. Okay. Matt, do you want the next one? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Neil says, uh, the new Delta variant may cause problems with swallowing. <gasps> right. Had to get a well, COVID one now. That's kind of topical, isn't it? Mm. That's very, I'm very good. Yeah, very uh, David good. Uh, says, "How else do you expect me to peel the potatoes?" Oh, oh, I see with the blade, right? Yeah, yes. okay, yes, sorry, yeah. yes, very good. See, James says, "You said check the engine feed. I couldn't find any, so I was trying to establish what it would like to eat." <laughs> 
not 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 one of those i suspect but yeah <laughs> uh kevin says the baggage handlers had just enough of captain jeff revving the engines whilst he showed off to the new air hostesses <laughs> Okay. Uh, Margaret has suggested that it was in Amazon delivery. It probably was. Yeah, actually, sort of yeah. thrown thrown over the over fence. The fence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I like this one. Matt Matt said the the baggage handlers look forward to the last Friday of the month where they deal with the unclaimed luggage. <laughs> That's one way to get rid of. Well, it. that that is Peter. True. Peter says the dangers of Delta P. Right, yes, we're in the old pandemic zone again, aren't we? John's been in touch to say Delta Airways are reviewing their engineering aptitude tests after their after their latest intake of apprentices uh, fail the shape and sort test. Not good. Uh. Let's see. Ryan sends in failing airline Delta Airlines desperate attempt at haulage run out of holding space. Management purpose a solution. <laughs> Very good, Ryan. Propose. Management proposed a solution. Uh, Gustav, uh, Gustav says Captain Jeff has yet to tell this tale. <laughs> right, okay. Like I say, surely it'd be Captain Nick. He tends to have the tales, doesn't he? Uh, uh, Glenn says, I didn't see that on my walk round, says flight engineer Jeff, later Captain Jeff with Acme. Mm, very good, very good. Uh, Mark says, Delta really suck. Okay. Seems a, seems a bit like have I? <laughs> seems a bit direct. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jake uh, says Acme heard a Delta wing is faster, so they employed the UK track and trace creators to make them a Delta engine. <laughs> okay, I like that. That's my favourite. I think that's my favourite. Kate actually. puts it straight into yeah. the point. Somebody's going to get fired. Right. Yes, probably. Yes, mm. absolutely. And final, finally, some guy Called. by the name of Neville <laughs> um, says uh, there's FOD and there's FOD. Capital letters <laughs> FOD. There's FOD and then there's FOD. 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 Yeah, absolutely. There we go. We've got some coming in from the chat room now. So we've got one from Richard Adams says uh, you were only supposed to chuck a... <laughs> blinking, blinking, a blooming lucky. coin in, <laughs> right? Okay, fair enough. Yes. And Graham Haley said, "Did I just hear Matt correctly name a jet engine?" No, no, you didn't. It was it was a different that, Matt. That was... D- did I? What did I do? Did I? I did actually say RB two eleven, but yeah, they might. They, they, they yeah, I think they thought that was you. It wasn't me. He said RB two eleven. It weren't me. But we'll say it was you, Matt. <laughs> no, let's we'll say not, it was you. That's not true. Okay. No. Yes. Never mind. Yes. Sorry to disappoint, Graham. That's that's my job here to disappoint. Alex. Well, you know, we, yeah. we're running that competition that says if you name an engine correctly, you have to go skydiving. No, they don't. I think no, you well, win. No, no, no. Hey, for, ding, 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 fortunately, ding, ding, ding. I didn't name it, so that's me out of it for this another no, week. Well. Excellent. Lovely. Should we do something else? Let's do something else. Let's move on to the commercial news segment. So if no, if, no, 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 oh, no, no, oh, those, oh, those oh. weren't your instructions. <laughs> you were given well you know to... the owner of the show gets to make up his own oh rules, does he oh okay all right I tend our to wonderful to the producer. producer and director in the background is going is just throwing up his arms going <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely now i believe that the word reno was mentioned oh yes reno. What, what are those tones and bars that you just see on the television when yeah. they go blank I our producer you know, i don't, just I don't gone have now. a test card i need to get a test card leave it with me yeah absolutely just the one to hold up so we can just go beep anyway reno someone. well <laughs> yeah so there is a purpose that john is stopping the show to talk about this first of all 
Um, it is not most importantly, but it is a benefit to being a Patreon supporter or a PayPal supporter Ooh, to yes. the show. Mm. Uh, so like I said, I was out in Reno the last uh, 10 days or so. And while I was there, I was able to put together a good about 10 minute video, including some in-flight footage <gasps> of what it's like to do a couple laps around the Reno race course. Um, and it's just uh, now I don't it is hard for me to pick which flight in my life has been one of the best flights. Cause I, I think the one that always sticks out is flying in the Alps. We did that for the show a couple years ago now, mm. but uh, I got a, I got a chance to ride along with Andrew Finley. Andrew Finley is the sport class gold uh, winner. So he's been, he's the champion for the last two years running. So this is, he runs around this course at 50 feet above the ground at 412 miles per hour, that's his average speed. So probably up to upwards of 430 miles per hour at some point at 50 feet in a, in a home, home built Lancer legacy. And uh, I got a chance to go with Andrew flying while they were doing some formation work. And it was just, this is going to be strange coming out of my head. It was <laughs> the most terrifying flight in Whoa, my life. Okay. Uh, what? <laughs> it was just remind me what you bonkers. used to do for a living. <laughs> it was bonkers. Yeah, I know. And I used to fly these military missions at very particular situations. And I rode along with Andrew and I saw the, the amount of the work that these pilots uh, put into just their formation work and how close, how close the formation was and in Reno, there is no such thing as calm winds. It is, uh, it is 20 <laughs> knots, gusting 35 on the ground. Therefore, at eight, seven, seven, eight, nine thousand feet, it's even more than that. And these airplanes, you can see this. Uh, go, go, go support Patreon and then like put 50 cents in there just so you can get the link to the video. <laughs> um, but it, the, the, the amazing way that these pilots are able to control their aircraft just a few feet apart and these are we're not talking the blue angels the blades or any or the red arrows or anything like that these are our regular day-to-day -day pilots um with varying experiences that are able to control these aircraft and not hit each other and for me i gotta admit i was not that comfortable flying <laughs> that close to other aircraft uh in the in those wind conditions and, and it was just you know i i actually called megan as soon as I landed off that off that flight, and I said, <laughs> "These guys can keep it. This is not for this me. You're not, not for gonna, me. <laughs> nope. You're not going to find me racing any aircraft. Yeah, yeah, anytime soon. And it was just uh, absolutely terrifying. Uh, let's see. And uh, Arnie, Arnie Carlson asked, "What's the G-force?" Um, so we pulled up to about three and a half G's um, because it's a constant radius what? turn. <laughs> um, so it was three and a half G's going around the turn. Um, and that's just in a legacy doing well, we were only doing about 300 miles per hour. Um, some of the unlimiteds I'm sure are pulling way more cause they're kind of 90 degrees and, and going around the course. But, uh, oh my gosh, it was just so much fun to watch the emergency <laughs> procedures, the coursework, uh, the sorry, mock races. Say, sorry, but Brian Coleman's just said to guess it's not for Matt either. I think that's very true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably true. Matt, Matt probably wouldn't even be able to watch the video. No, no, getting no, indeed. So when are we um, planning to release that by the way? Yeah, so don't forget, guys and girls, if you want to become a Patreon member, you can get full access to those videos and see Armando 
um, doing that crazy when, stuff. When are we dropping that? Because we dropped one already. Yeah, we have we? dropped one. There'll be another one uh, due this month, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we're in June, aren't we? Yeah, so yeah, this month. I can't remember. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. so that's coming up in the next week or so, yeah. I guess, isn't yeah. it? Well, pa- pa- well, as we've mentioned it, perhaps I should make sure it gets released this week then. Cause yes. It seems... That yeah. seems appropriate if we talked about it, doesn't it? As a treat for yes, all our generous indeed. people, PayPal uh, and, and anyway, uh, we, we, we rudely we rudely interrupted Amanda there. Anything else that we need to to add to that? No, the only thing I was going to add on is a special thank you to one Miss Jody Ruger, who actually helped me out on the ramp quite a bit. Uh, as you guys know, I have a management role out there at the Reno Air Races, and I brought Jody out to volunteer with me. And she helped me out all week long. So uh, Jody and I had some just great times, lots of walking, lots of working. Uh, Sean Van Hatton was out there. George Catalano, who's done oh, interviews wow. with us. Oh, Bob Mills was out there. Yeah. And then I met a wonderful young lady, Debbie Rin Harvey, who is a retired airline pilot and uh, 36 years aerobatics. And she was uh, an aerobatic unlimited champion. And she agreed to do an interview with us for the show. Oh, Woo-hoo. fantastic. Just fantastic people out there. So. Oh, wow. Sounds like an amazing time on Monday. It was great. Absolutely. Right. So if everyone is ready, shall we do some commercial news? Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do it. Is it portion? So this first commercial news story comes to us from a bunch of different sources. I'm sure we'll put some links to it in the show notes. But uh, the Queen awards inspirational pilots with MBEs in birthday honors. So first of all, uh, Horsham Airline captain has gained royal recognition for her services to aviation. 31-year-old ambassador, aviation ambassador Kate West has been awarded an MBE in the Queen's birthday honors. Kate's love of flying began when she joined the Air Cadets while at school. Man, we are always talking about the Air Cadets. Uh, <laughs> but she was told by her head teacher that she would never become a pilot, and that made her even more determined to take to the skies. I like her style. After attending flying school, she joined EasyJet as a first officer at the age of 21 years old. And by 2016, at the age of 26, Kate became the world's youngest ever commercial female airline captain. And since then, she's gone on to become a training captain, instructing new pilots and captains to help develop their skills. As an aviation ambassador, Kate works with the government to encourage young people to look at aviation as a career and works closely with the schools. But she's not the only pilot to have been recognized this year for their services to aviation. The first female Red Arrows pilot said that it was an amazing surprise to become an MBE in the Queen's birthday honors. Christy Murphy, 43 years old from Northampton, flew her first uh, uh, first flew for the display team in 2009 and has performed 136 public displays and 133 fly paths in 11 countries. In 2019, she became an aviation ambassador for the Department of Port Transport. Uh, Miss Murphy, who is now a pilot for the Sywell-based Blades display team, I think we know them. Heard so of she them, was... definitely heard of them, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think we did talk about her in the what three episodes ago yeah um she said she was absolutely delighted to receive the honor for services to aviation christopher wood aviation accessibility consultant and founder of flying disabled an organization which aims to improve accessibility in air travel was also awarded an mbe for his services to aviation uh, accessibility in the queen's birthday honors this year so 
congratulations to everybody there in the UK that is being recognized for their um, advocacy for aviation. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah, indeed. Uh, sorry, I've uh, I had a bit of a coughing fit there, but there's a picture. I say Christopher Wood for for those watching on YouTube as well, who was also received his uh, as as Armando was saying there. But uh, fantastic. Oh, good, good on him, good on him. It's uh, nice when these sorts of things happen. It's good, good news stories in the current kind of climate that we're yeah in. So yeah. refreshing, yeah. Eh? It's very refreshing. So Matt, you've got uh, the next one, uh, and uh, yeah, this is good. Max's. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard of those. Now, there's been a lot of talk about these particular aircraft, I think. Mm. In, fact, in fact, if I'm slightly honest, I think we're all a little bit sick of hearing them, aren't we, really? But uh, there we go. So uh, let's let's get stuck in then. So uh, the headline is Ryanair's first 737 MAX lands at Dublin Airport. There you go, look. So uh, Ryanair finally took possession of its first Boeing 737 MAX jet. Uh, that is el uh, Hotel Echo November, um, um, MSN 62301, after a delay of more than two years on Wednesday, saying that it would have 12 of the Game Changer aircraft in time for this year's summer peak. The airline is the largest European consumer, a uh, customer of for the jet, with 210 firm orders of the 197-seat MAX 200 model. Ryanair said it expected to take delivery of 12 Boeing 737-8200s this summer, with six delivered in Ryanair colours and six in Malta Air colours. It expects an additional 50 to be delivered before summer 2022. Each Boeing 737-8200 8200 aircraft offers 197 seats compared to the 189 seat current 737 800NG fleet. However, the customers will enjoy more legroom, new new Boeing Sky interiors and lower fares while reducing their environmental footprint by switching to these new aircraft, the airline said. In the hour before our show went live this evening, Ryanair's second Boeing 737 8200EI- Hotel Echo Zulu, MSN 6. Two three one two landed in Dublin after the nine-hour delivery flight from Seattle. In other Max news, the lo- the newest version of the seven three seven jet, uh, the seven three seven Max ten, kicked off its testing program with its first test flight, with uh, which was just uh, before going on air, and it was still flying over Washington and Montana as Boeing Flight one o one. And the pictures there are courtesy of Eurospotter uh, Rachel. David, Sean, Connor, and Maurice. So there we go. Got to say, when they, when you're running that video, Matt, with that aircraft coming towards a cameraman, um, yes. being being marshalled in to the stand there, those engines are blooming huge. Yeah. When you compare that to uh, the CFMs that are on the uh, the seven three seven dash eight hundred. Um, these engines are massive on these Maxes. They really are. I'd like to pretend I knew what a CFM was, but I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> he knows really guys it's no 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 I don't what is a C- no seriously what? the CFM 56 powers the uh, the Dash 800 um, 737s that currently fly with Ryanair right okay and obviously the, so CFM so it's an, it's an engine type yes yeah, right yeah. okay yeah, that's it fair enough and okay. uh, obviously these new Maxes have the, the new shiny spanking brand new high bypass turbo fans okay cool uh, which are obviously a lot longer di- a lot wider diameter of uh, of okay yeah very so cool like it's, it it's very good it's okay. very good it's good to hear good to hear they're finally in the air though yes yes do you guys do you guys think that Ryanair is going to be able to keep that 737-8200 <laughs> it is a bit of a naff um kind of 
and for those of you in America, NAF means rubbish. I've got one up there. Um, yeah, it's it even says eighty two hundred on it, and I've I've had that war. Yeah, just, I know. I know they're they're making an effort to just not call it the max. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> me, me and me and John, producer John, were talking about this yesterday, and they should have just gone with you know the 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 seventy seven dash eight. Right. At that. Okay. okay. There might be a reason yeah. why they didn't do that. Yeah. Don't know. Mm. Is there another dash eight? Could that get confused with something no, else? Maybe? No, no, no. And e- even the model that I've got yeah. at home. Uh, the Max model I've got at home, 737, has well, no, I, dash 8 is, is on it, it, Weirdly, tail. my one has got 8200 on it. Yeah, because yours is done in the Ryanair livery. My, the, my one's in the Boeing house colours, uh, so it's got the dash 8 on the tail. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going O as if I know what you're talking about. E- email your thoughts in, guys <laughs> and girls. If, if, you're, uh, if you're listening to the show, email your thoughts in and what you think of that kind of designation as a, as yeah. a designation for uh, 737-8200. I guess, I, mean, I guess the reason behind it, though, is just thinking, like, because there are some people who are going to go, oh, I ain't getting on one of them. And I suppose, I mean, is it right that they're, you know, is it right that they're disguised, trying I, to disguise it? I don't know. I, I mean, heard that they'd done a survey and in over in, in the, I think it was over in the US, and they, it was, the passengers basically said they don't give a they monkeys. Don't care. Right, okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, but which, with the, with the greatest respect, was it was it a British um, survey, or was it in no, the No, it was, a, it was a, a survey done over in the States, right, and they just okay. said that no one gives a... Um, well, I, I'd be fascinated. I'd, I'll tell you what, I'd love them to carry out that survey here in the UK. Shall we do a survey on PTUK, shall we? Do our own survey. Well, no, because our, our own survey. Well, no, because uh, cause our listeners aren't, I don't know how to word this correctly without getting sued. Like, well, well, um, I, I'm just thinking, yeah, they're well informed and, and will know that that thing is back in the air because a lot of testing has gone, mm. as, as Armando said, they're well informed. Um, I think he's so that's not a fair comparison. I mean, it's it, it would probably be the the figures that the airline want you to put mm. out, certainly. But uh, anyway, uh, enough of this. So <laughs> next story is coming from Flight Global and uh, also some bits from Twitter as well. And uh, this one broke today, literally uh, broke today. Uh, <laughs> one of BA's Nev's finest seven eight sevens was damaged in a nose gear incident while parked. Heathrow, I will just say. Uh, so well, one of BA's, I know, I know. One of uh, BA's seven eight seven dash eight appears to have suffered a nose gear retraction or collapse at London Heathrow. Uh, the images purportedly redu- uh, from the scene circulating on social media show the uh, re- aircraft registration Golf Zulu Bravo Juliet Bravo with its forward fuselage in contact with the ground. They also show a mobile passenger staircase still elevated to the normal uh, second left-hand passenger door, uh, uh, which is still elevated, suggesting it had been in place when the incident happened, possibly damaging the door as well, which appears to also be missing. Uh, BA said the aircraft was operating as a freighter with no passengers on board, adding that it sustained damage on the 18th of July, uh, June uh, while stationary on its stand. Safety, they said, as always, is their highest priority and they are investigating the matter, uh, BA said. Uh, preliminary evidence indicates the jet had been parked at the airport on stand 583, just in case you want to look that one up, since arriving from Moscow Domodedovo uh, Airport on June 16th. Uh, BA uh, took delivery of said aircraft back in 2013. What do you reckon then, Armando? Someone flicked the switch? Yeah, what an <laughs> odd thing to happen. You know, you, you would think that there are so many safety systems, to, the most basic of which being some kind of weight on wheel switch. I'm, I'm very curious to hear what failed uh, in the safety mechanisms that allowed that 
nose gear to retract, or if it indeed did somehow uh, get bumped or, or something. But what an, what an odd thing to happen on a on a stand when the aircraft isn't moving. But Brian Coleman's offered a possible solution uh, or a reason for it kneeling for the Queen, obviously. Oh, as one does over there. Of course, absolutely. It's yeah. the rules. Yeah, yeah indeed. Uh, don't BA, mind Carlos. It's, it's called by the way. BA curtsy. Yeah, well, quite <laughs> absolutely. Don't mind. The, don't mind the noise, by the way. Carlos is refilling the glasses. That's the noisiest can opening I think I've ever heard in my entire life. I tried to do the most silent of can openings. Yes, yeah, that that clearly didn't work. Uh, okay, anyway. So Armando, you have got the next story, and uh, where are we going? We're going to uh, Japan, I think, Japan, aren't we? Yeah. Japan for this one. To Japan from yeah. theheraldnet.com. Uh, a solo pilot in a single-engine airplane touched down Friday afternoon at Harvey Field in Snohomish, Washington. Man, that's why you guys gave me this because you can't pronounce Snohomish. Pretty much, yeah. No, I, th- uh, I think I think I think it's probably more likely that producer John gave you those stories because they won't get butchered by you. Oh, that's why I give you guys military stories. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, snow joke. Rats. Uh, Let's see. Uh, this young pilot rumble. was concluding a 42-day around-the-world flight and a lifelong dream. At the age of 18, Shinji Maeda was, uh, had suffered a car accident. The impact fractured his skull and caused his brain to swell. Uh, he said that doctors gave him a 50-50 chance of survival. He did recover but lost vision in his right eye. In his native Japan, the injury prevented him from becoming a pilot. Uh, which was his childhood ambition. But his family encouraged him to pursue his goal in the United States. So Maida attended Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona. He graduated with a master's degree in safety science in 2005. That year, he also became a single-engine pilot. Later, he got his multi-engine rating and an instrument rating. Maida, who is a, a flight instructor at a Snohomish flying service, uh, at Harvey Field and a Boeing operations manager is also the founder of the Aero Zipangu project. Uh, that's a nonprofit group that encourages people to challenge themselves, overcome obstacles, and seize the skies. On the 1st of May, Meta took off from Painfield in the cockpit of a 1963 Beach Bonanza P 35, that's a V tail, and uh, in a single engine airplane that he calls Lucy. The Earth Rounder mission covered an estimated 22,000 nautical miles and touched down in more than 18 countries, including Canada, France, Greece, Bahrain, Thailand, Japan, South Korea, and Russia. He said, this is my hope and dream, to inspire people to do as much as they can. Uh, and he describes himself as the one-eyed pilot. Uh, Maida chronicled his adventures with descriptions of flying conditions and the people that he met in Facebook posts and videos. While he was flying through Japan, and after three requests, a Tokyo-based air traffic controller finally gave Meta the go-ahead to fly over the Noto airport near the aviation high school that he attended. He said, I flew over my high school, and I'm hoping that some of the students saw it, and these kids will make Japanese aviation better in the future. He wrote, he wrote that in one of his uh, Facebook posts. So he also stopped at uh, Chitose International Airport in Hokkaido, Japan, where he was able to see his mom and his brother from behind the airport security fence. Uh, according to them, the strict COVID-19 regulations prevented him from leaving his aircraft for an up-close visit. Um, so there you go. Congratulations to uh, this young pilot who is just, you know, showing that aviation really has no barriers. Anybody can do whatever they set out to do. It's a, crazy, it's a brilliant story, isn't it? It's such a good story. 
I no, it's it. one crazy looking uh, aircraft, uh, Armando, with the V, uh, V-tail. You know, Megan and I flew a V-tail Bonanza a couple years ago, and we fell in love with it. It, uh, you know, there there was some safety modifications that they did to it after a couple of the tails fell off. That you know, no big deal. Um, and uh, <laughs> it actually is a great airplane. It's a great family airplane. Uh, I we actually flew a P thirty five Bonanza, which was the exact same model. But uh, it's an awesome airplane, and uh, there's a YouTube video. Uh, blogger vlogger matt gutmiller who flies a bonanza he flew his around the world um, so apparently it's a great airplane to do that with but you know i a couple of years ago we did that interview with uh with the baz flyer with um uh oh gosh barry and uh barry Payne from new zealand uh we were up at oshkosh and they were flying their comanche which is a similar airplane around the world and telling us all about it so i don't know i don't know that it's on my bucket list of things to do but what a what a cool thing just to, quickly to be before we move on armando what's the idea do you know between uh, behind the v-tail as opposed to having a straight up rudder uh i'm sure in 1958 when they developed it there was an aerodynamic i mean there's less drag because it's one whole less control surface mm. um and uh that design has been around i mean the f-117 used it there's uh quite a few aircraft there even the cirrus vision jet uh, uses a V-tail design. So I'm positive there are some aerodynamic advantages to uh, having a V-tail and, and one full less control surface. Mm. Probably has to do with drag. Yeah, no, fair point. So uh, moving on to the next story, Matt. And uh, this story is just like one of those ones I just think, uh, go Riley, oh, really? really? Okay, yeah. So Cathay mm. working with Airbus on single pilot system for long haul. Hmm. Okay, so Cathay Pacific is working on uh, working with Airbus to introduce reduced crew long haul flights uh, with a sole cop, uh, pilot in the cockpit. Much of the time, industry sources told Reuters, uh, the program known within Airbus as Project Connect aims to certify its A350 jet for single pilot operations during high altitude cruise starting in 2025 on Cathay passenger flights. Once cleared, longer flights would become possible with a pair of pilots alternating rest breaks instead of three or four currently needed to maintain at least two in the cockpit. That promises savings for airlines, but it's likely to encounter resistance from pilots already hit by mass layoffs and safety concerns about aircraft automation. Airbus has designed an A350 pilot upgrade and flight warning system changes to help a lone pilot manage failures. Uh, Sources close to the project said for the solo pilot, use of a uh, a specially designed unisex toilet would be possible during the shift in coordination with air traffic control. Uh, Safe deployment will uh, require constant monitoring of the solo pilot's alertness and vital signs by onboard systems, EASA has said. Uh, If the flight encounters a problem or the pilot flying is incapacitated, the resting pilot can be summoned within minutes. Both remain in the cockpit for takeoff and landing. Pilot groups have voiced alarm. We struggle to understand the rationale. Um, it was said um, by uh, Ojan uh, de Bruggen, who's the head of the European 
Oh, 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 Chan de Brun, sorry, my apologies for that, uh, who's the head of the European Cockpit Association uh, representing EU pilots. Single pilot operations currently limited to planes with up to nine passengers would need backing from UN aviation body uh, ICAO and countries whose airspace they cross. China support, China support is key to any Cathay Pacific deployment. Uh, EASA plans uh, consultations this year and certification uh, work in 2022 with a tentatively scheduled 2025 launch date, a spokesperson said. Uh, Lufthansa has also worked on the single pilot programme but currently has no plans to use it, a spokesman for the German carrier told Reuters. Cathay Pacific Airways confirmed its involvement but said no decision had been made on eventual deployment. Okay. Mm. Uh, I mean, so many questions here, really. I suppose it's just like. I can understand why they want to go that because there's obvious savings involved there. Um, but I mean, Armando, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Amanda, you used to, you used to fly for a Part One Thirty Five um, um, airline a company in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with twin uh, twin pilot operations on the Pilatus. But how do you feel about if that wasn't the case and you? Well, it was the case. Uh, we were many one, part 135 airlines are authorized for single pilot operations in a revenue generating passenger carrying capacity, which is a little bit scary if you're a passenger and you're walking up there. I don't know. It's scary for us that are in the know. Maybe a, 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 your lay passenger won't know the difference. Um, it was an uh, absolute nightmare to fly single pilot when you're flying into Atlanta, Hartsfield, single pilot when you're flying into dfw single pilot boston logan uh none of those airports are easy to fly with with two pilots and uh i just i don't know i you know i'm one of those people that tries to stay open-minded and and maybe look at it from from their point of view uh, and i just don't see the advantages in this cost savings to me that's not really a it doesn't fly with me because what the salary of, of a pilot is nothing compared to landing fees, the amount of fuel that you're spending. The cost of an airplane is $30 million. That's a lot of pilots that you can feed for that much. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what are from a cost saving standpoint, what is the ultimate advantage of having single pilot operations when you compare that to the potential liability and safety concerns, as we've seen many, many times in other mishaps where, you know, in the chat room, we asked the question and in German wings that you yeah. have single pilot yeah. operations, there's no uh, checks and balances of the pilot up there. And I take issue with the statement in the article that says the other pilot can be summoned within minutes. You don't have minutes when there's an emergency, Yeah, you know. Very- um, yeah, Air yeah. France 443. You know, you have to, all these things where. I mean, I, uh, I should I should just also stress perhaps that one of the things that it does say in the article here, obviously, is the is the for takeoff and landing, which many would perhaps argue is the most that you know, they're only talking essentially about single per, single uh, pilot operations during the cruise. Yeah, I don't know very many pilots that are going to make the choice to do the takeoff and landing from the bunk. Well, no, know, if, no, 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 If no. there, if you're a pilot and there's an open seat up front, you're not going to give it up. You're going to be there yeah. because most human pilots, not automated yeah. pilots, 
know that the critical phases of flight are when you're going to need two people and the most critical yeah. phases of flight are your takeoff and landing. Graham is actually saying arguably very similar to controlled rest, but I would much rather somebody wakes up sat in the seat if needed. That's a good mm. point there. I mean, uh, you know, is is there an argument for this where perhaps you have a, a bunk within the... Um, within the, in, within the flight deck, maybe you know you lose a bit of capacity at the front there. Uh, apparently, mm. some airlines do, but I mean, maybe that's I, I don't know. There's, there's lots of things that that I, I'm I'm really I'm, there's lots of things I'm really uncomfortable with here. When you look at for, uh, Air France four four seven, the um, the three thirty that crashed uh, in uh, when it was flying to Paris from Brazil, um, they had what three, <laughs> two captains and one first officer on the flight deck. And that yeah, aircraft, that you had three qualified pilots on the flight deck right. of that aircraft, and they couldn't deal with the situation at the time. Right. I mean, we're going to go back to the eighties. Eastern Airlines four hundred one. They yep. crashed into an into the Everglades, they and they did. had two pilots, a flight engineer, and a jump seater, mm-hmm. um, and they still crashed into the Ever- Everglades in a controlled fashion because they weren't. They didn't handle their crew resource management, which really didn't exist. They, they were trying to fix a blown bulb. Yeah, it was oh. a nose gear landing bulb. On the bulb. nose gear landing bulb. When they put the gear down, one of the lights didn't illuminate to tell the gear was down. So right. they were trying to fiddle while they were coming into that. They were trying to fiddle to see what this bulb, if the bulb had blown. Right. By trying to get the twid, uh, whittle it out, pull the bulb out. They nudged, <laughs> one of the pilots nudged the control column, knocked the uh, air, uh, autopilot off. And the aircraft oh, just, just just went straight into went the straight into the Everglades. Yeah, well, Gosh. yeah, uh, you know, Brian Coleman. Let's wrap it up with this. Brian Coleman has a great statement in the chat room, which is okay. So, can we have tickets for nineteen dollars now? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, good point. Right. Good point. Anyway, we better move so, on. So, uh, next one uh, comes to us from uh, DailyMail.co.uk, and for oh, all no. our, all the av geeks <laughs> who want to get that chance to fly uh, on the Queen of the Skies, listen up, because Lufthansa uh, are to fly Taurus to Mallorca this summer in jumbo jets and Airbus A350s in response to surge in bookings. So, Lufthansa is planning to send its largest operational aircraft the 787-8 and the A350 in response to a uh, 747-8, I should say. Who's put 787 in there? Honestly, John. To a significant increase in booking demand for flights to Parma de Mallorca from Frankfurt and Munich. It said bookings between April and the beginning of June 2021 were 25 times higher than normal. Uh, The Boeing 747-8, also known as the Queen of the Skies, is the largest aircraft that Lufthansa currently operates and offers up to 364 seats instead of the 215 available on the A321 that it generally uses users on these routes. Of these, 88 are business class seats and first class seats and 276 are economy, including premium economy. Lufthansa says that its A350 meanwhile offers 293 seats, including 48 business class and 245 in economy, including premium. Uh, The first 747 flight, uh, LH1151, will be departing Frankfurt on Saturday, July the 17th at 10.20am and arrive in Palma de Mallorca Airport at 12.25pm. The return flight, LH1153, will take place the same day at 2.25pm, arriving in Frankfurt at 4.45. It will then operate uh, for an additional three weekends, July the 24th, 31st and August the 7th, and the A350 flight to Palma de Mallorca will take place at the start of the Bavarian Summer Vacations on Saturday 31st of July. So there we go. If you 
you want to get the chance to fly on the 747, get yourselves uh, over to uh, to Lufthansa's hub and uh, grab a seat on that flight to Mallorca on those I really dates. would love to have a uh, have a flight on one of these, but I'm not mm. I'm not going to get the opportunity now. No, no, I've... which is absolutely gutting, really. I think it's a great chance, I think, for any AV geek who who's still not had the chance to fly on the Queen of the Skies to get mm. that chance, albeit for a very short flight. Uh, well, yes, <laughs> but even so, even so, you can still say you've been on it. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, on to the last story then. So the last one, uh, and uh, this is from the Point Sky, Aviation Photographs, uh, Zephyr.net, uh, SouthAfrican.com as well. And for any of you AV geeks who are looking for a very, very, have geeky places stay. Uh, you can soon sleep in a check this Boeing seven two seven at this aviation themed hotel. So a retired jet uh, in South Africa is being converted into a private VIP hotel suite that can accommodate up to six people. The story first gained traction earlier this week as people took to social media with images and videos of the airplane fuselage moving around South Africa. Great pictures on there if you're watching the YouTube feed. Uh, the 727, which is expected to be ready to accommodate visitors by October this year, will join an already existing 737-200 that serves as a six-bedroom boutique hotel called Aerotel. Very nice. Hoodsprout, whatever that is. Oh, there we go. Reserving the whole 727 aircraft for your uh, guests will cost you uh, between 10,000 and 12,000 South African Rand per night, uh, which is around, for our US listeners, around 700 to $850. Uh, for that, according to the hotel director, he said, uh, in the seven three seven rates start at one thousand eight hundred rand per night. That's around about one hundred twenty eight dollars per night. There we go, a bit cheaper for single occupancy rooms, and three thousand rand or two hundred fourteen dollars uh, for double occupancy rooms. Despite being inside of a plane, each room comes with almost all the traditional amenities you can expect from a hotel, uh, including a queen bed, a private bathroom, shower, coffee, and tea and a fridge and also complimentary Wi-Fi on board. There we go. The hotel's new 727 was seen uh, transporting uh, through a, a road from Johannesburg, uh, Tombola International Airport, to its new home in Hoodersbrook, South Africa, on June 11th. Moving the plane was a logistical challenge. It took five days to transport the 727 fuselage to its new location. For those interested in visiting Aero Hotel Hoodersbrook, is uh, it's about five-hour drive from Johannesburg. Not. <laughs> that close then but despite its relatively remote location it's not completely off the tourist circuit it sits near several noteworthy attractions such as kruger national park and various animal rehabilitation centers a traveler could easily combine a safari with staying in a room in one of these unique accommodations the 727 itself was most recently registered uh, juliet 2 kilo bravo alpha and was a vip jet for the Deputy Air Force. It was built in May 1967, uh, delivered to Frontier Airlines first. It was then returned to Boeing in November 1969 as a trade-in for a 737. It immediately went off to Braniff Airlines. You should all know Braniff. Uh, This was not the same Frontier as we know today, but a new airline formed from the merger of Arizona Airways, Challenge uh, Airlines and Monarch Airlines, not to be confused with Monarch Airlines in the UK. Okay. So Matt put the pictures on the screen there, I have to say. Including a nice. square video, that's a first. Including a square video. <laughs> Armando, how are you up oh. for uh, spending the night on a uh, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And you got to admit that 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 looked like a really well preserved airframe. It did. I'm impressed. Most mm. most of the things that end up in in places like this are some kind of dilapidated airframe, but uh, that that looked like a, a pretty intact airframe. So uh, yeah, I would absolutely do it. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. In that kind of um, atmospheric conditions, in that kind of dry, because it's obviously dry and uh, yeah. kind of, sort of, the, the aircraft is probably going to last quite a while. Well, I would have thought so. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea. I thought we should do that in the UK. Why don't we have ho- hotels made out of aircraft here? We in don't the have UK? the space. <laughs> Mm, I suppose. <laughs> we don't have vast vast land land to, mm. to sort of do so the trouble is, is you, something like that you've got to put a lot around it haven't you so you've got that as the main function but you know you, you've got to have lots of other buildings around it if you like to generate a, a thing and I suppose with the be- with the best will in the world you know it takes up an awful lot of space and you don't get that many rooms out of it and you, and you got to get it there your roads are I can't imagine how many British roads you could just <laughs> drive a 727 down. Carries a good point. Carries a good point. So we're going to move yeah. on then with uh, the next part of the show. That brings the commercial news to, uh, to a close this week. Hope you all enjoyed that. So coming up next then, uh, we've got uh, the next instalment uh, from The Plain Truths, uh, where this week uh, Captain Al and Matt are talking about weather delays, slots and turtles. Hello and welcome to Another Plain Truth and as always joining me in the virtual studio is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi Captain Al. A very good evening Matt. Now we've had a question come in via our YouTube channel and this is from HM. Uh, Loving these as ever, I have a question. I've been waiting for pushback on a couple of occasions but delayed due to weather. Similarly, I have been on one flight where we couldn't land at the destination and at least one other where we were delayed due to avoiding the weather. Uh, I'd be interested to hear about weather avoidance and how it works, such as how close you can get to storms and how you can prepare for flights uh, where weather may be a factor do pilots take a calculated risk departing when they have to divert presumably it's a trade-off between performance efficiency versus extra fuel for potential holding time diversions i'm sure it's a very complicated subject now uh, i think he's right there to be fair i mean it it sounds like a minefield right there but i mean this must be something that you have to sort of take into consideration because i mean you can do as much as planning as you like of course but you you still don't have a great deal of control over what actually happens once you've taken off. Indeed. So there are a couple of elements here. So we'll start the exercise off with the the fact that when when the crew report, wherever they're choosing to report for their flight, um, they will look at the weather forecast for where they're starting out, uh, where they're going, where they might end up going if that destination airport um, has some weather issues, so in other words, the alternate, and indeed the weather en route. So there's quite a lot of assessment of the weather. Why? Because the weather is the one thing that we have no control over, but it controls us. <laughs> so or certainly controls the decisions that we make. So when we're, we're looking at this, we're looking at like uh, issues such as fog, snow, strong winds, uh, low clouds. The list is reasonably long. But we're looking at things that are either going to stop us landing, stop us taking off, or cause delays to either of those. So let's uh, have a look at uh, poor weather at our point of departure. 
So there are minimum visibilities that we have to have before we can take off. Uh, there has to be minimum runway conditions. So for example, the regulator doesn't like us trying to get airborne on an ice covered runway. It considers that to be a bit more of a calculated risk. So uh, the, the runway has to be of a suitable preparation. And therefore quite often, um, if we've had say, for example, heavy overnight snow and it's an early morning flight, we're waiting for the runway to be cleared. Or similarly, if there's thick fog, we're waiting for that fog to clear. So those are sort of delays that would uh, cause a delay to your departure. Now, clearly, uh, if you sat with all the passengers on board and you've got the air conditioning on because it's a bitterly cold winter's morning, then you're going to be burning fuel. So you have to make some sort of consideration for that. The other sort of factors that could cause your pushback to be delayed is uh, poor weather en route or poor weather at your destination because both of those will generate the dreaded air traffic control slot time. So these will restrict when you're able to get airborne because what, what we don't want is everybody to get airborne, arrive at this destination that's fog bound and no one is able to land and everybody's holding. So it's far better to stop people taking off for that destination in the first instance, rather than having you know, everything you know, log jammed uh, along the way there. So that's, that will generate a, a uh, air traffic control slot uh, for sure. So that, that's going to delay your pushback as well. Um, with regards to once you've managed to get away from your point of departure and you're on your way, generally the only weather that we have to deal with is convective activity. So uh, a nice long statement for thunderstorms either <laughs> in the making uh, in the progress of doing their thing or slowly diminishing. So those, those big um, cumulonimbus clouds, uh, they're the ones that we won't be flying through because uh, they will cause a lot of damage and a lot of paperwork and a lot of upset passengers. And nobody so, likes paperwork. <laughs> nobody likes paperwork. So um, in very simple terms, we can either uh, avoid them laterally uh, by going around them or we can avoid them vertically uh, by going over the top of them, or sometimes if we're on the approach to land, to go underneath them. Now, one of the interesting things about cumulonimbus clouds is that they can grow in a vertical uh, extent very, very quickly. Um, you know, they, they can grow thousands of feet in, in, a, in a minute. So um, that they, they have the potential for huge amounts of energy within them. So if we're going to go over the top of them, uh, we have to be quite careful to ensure that we're going to be over them by a sufficient uh, vertical distance, vertical separation. Um, and the higher we are, the, the greater that separation tends to be. So um, there are various sort of tables and sort of rules of thumb. But basically what you want to do is to ensure that you're a good 2000 feet above uh, any storm that stopped growing. Now, that can, especially at night, be quite spectacular to view, even as a passenger, uh, because 2,000 feet, when you've got lightning going off underneath you, looks as if it's very, very close. And indeed, um, you, you know, it, it can certainly light up the sky. Equally, if you're avoiding weather uh, and, say, you're 
10, 15, 20 miles away from it, at night, those big thunderstorm clouds that may be higher than you look an awful lot closer because the lightning just, you know, it's the only light in the sky. And we quite often have passengers saying, oh, we're, we're really, really close to those storms. And you go, well, 20 miles isn't that close. Sometimes you have to get a little bit closer if you're trying to work your way through gaps within thunderstorms. So quite often you'll have a squall line, a line of thunderstorms. I have in the past had to sort of deviate by 150, 200 miles away from a, a squall line to get around it. Uh, there was just no, no way of getting through it. Um, places where you can quite often see those are over the Balkans here in Europe. You get the air coming down off the mountains, meeting the warm Mediterranean. It's just the perfect mix and you get, you know, your afternoon thunderstorms. Um, and it, it literally can be hundreds of thunderstorms all happening at the same time. So it can be quite spectacular. Generally speaking, they're not difficult to get over the top of uh, because they, they tend to sort of top out at around about 30 to 33,000 feet. You can get over the top of them, but not always. So that, that, that's predominantly the only thing that you're avoiding en route. And then you've got the challenges of your destination. So uh, factors that can uh, cause issue are wind, poor visibility in the form of fog or dust or sand uh, snow obviously and then you know sort of other factors uh, like a low cloud base or indeed you know that the, the runway has been invaded by turtles and you may laugh at that but <laughs> i'm <sorry>, I, what <laughs> but i have uh, had to divert before now uh, because an airport is closed because of turtles Right. And it's it's happened where I've had to divert. It was uh, Zikinthos, uh, the island of Zante in Greece. And uh, sometimes at certain times of year, the turtles come ashore to, to, to lay their eggs. And if they come into the, the airport sort of surroundings, then they close the, the airport and not disturb the turtles. Wow. I mean, presumably because of protected species and all that yes. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ordinarily, they try to restrict the hours of operation at, at Zante, but um, uh, it, it, it does happen. I've also uh, had turtles on the runway at uh, Daytona Beach in Florida. So, yep, sometimes it is uh, necessary to, to go into the holding pattern at the destination for a variety of reasons. And, you know, if the turtles haven't left or the fog hasn't cleared or the dust hasn't gone away, uh, and you may say dust, that's a bit odd, but uh, down in the Canaries, you can get uh, Sahara dust that comes up and it's very, very difficult to see in a sandstorm. Mm, I can imagine. Um, so, yeah, so you, you'll end up holding for a while and then ultimately, uh, if you feel that it's not going to work out or you're reaching that point where, uh, you need to divert because uh, you've used up your your holding fuel. Um, then, yep, that's where your alternate comes in, and and off you go. And you'll go to the alternate. It may be a case that everybody gets off there, or it's a case of just refuel the aircraft because the the fog or the turtles or whatever have left, and you'll go back to where you'd plan to go. Okay, so it, yeah, sort of. It's uh, in an ideal world, you try and get back to the airport that 
that people were expecting to be at. I mean, I, I remember from uh, um, uh, a rather snowy, it might even have been Beast from the East or something like that, I can't quite remember, um, and I was supposed to be arriving in um, in Stansted and I ended up in Manchester because yes. it was the only it was the only airport that was able to take the aircraft and you know Stansted was closed and and that was it and i suppose the decisions like that you've got no control over until you're you're more or less in the vicinity essentially well with regards to to sort of fog um a lot of it depends on local phenomena so there are some places where the the meteorologists are really really good at being able to forecast when the fog is going to clear and in other occasions it's just a, almost as if the, the meteorologist has sort of licked his finger, put it in the air and put a bit of a guess on it. Um, so, yeah, it's oh, funny stuff, Fog. Not, not our fr- friend Dan, obviously. I mean, it's a very calculated, well, uh, you know, decision. Yeah, obviously. I mean, <laughs> let, let's be honest, the, these things are, are quite tricky. And, and similarly, as we know here in the UK, the, you know, the ability to accurately predict where the snow is going to dump down on us. <laughs> yes, yeah. Some occasions you have a pretty good idea before you set off how it's going to be. You know, the question was, do we take a calculated risk? Well, we don't take risks, but um, there are occasions where you may want to try to uh, make something work if you can. So I'll give you a really good example. There are some airports that have quite restrictive opening hours because of things like noise Mm. and so forth. So uh, if it's a case of that you're, trying to get into that airport before it closes for the night. Quite clearly that that's, um, you know, going to be a consideration, especially if it's an island, uh, because it's very difficult to get people to and from islands if you've taken them to the mainland or a different island. Mm. So, you know, I'm thinking of like, you know, the Canary Islands, the Greek Islands, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or those are a little bit isolated. Gibraltar used to have uh, restrictive opening hours. So you will try to plan such that if you can make it work, you will do. So the way that you would do that is maybe to carry some extra holding fuel so that you you really have enough fuel there to, to make it work. So mm. I used to do a flight, which was uh, an early morning flight to Rome Champino, and quite often they'll have early morning fog there. And because of the, the commercial costs of uh, landing at Rome Fiumicino, uh, which is admittedly very, very close, but a lot more expensive, uh, the company preferred that we would take quite a reasonable amount of fuel and just wait for the fog to clear. Right. So uh, now it's fair to say that the Italian meteorologists are probably not up to uh, Dan's standards, so they, they <laughs> tend to adopt more the lick-the-finger kind right. of approach. Um, and we, we just held waiting for the fog to clear for uh, just under two hours. My goodness. Uh, but uh, Which was longer than, than the flight to, you know, to where we'd started from. But when we were able to, to get in, it just meant that then the passengers who were joining the flight were in the right airport yeah. and so forth. So the passengers that we had on board were all fine, um, you know, because they'd made arrangements to be at that airport, be picked up, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I don't know how long it takes to get from Champino to Fiumicino. Um, but quite clearly, if, you know, in your case, if if you were being picked up at Stansted, uh, suddenly finding yourself in Gatwick and mm. saying to your friends, can you come and pick me up in Gatwick? It's not great, is it? No, no, it's certainly not if you're in Manchester, which is what happened to yes. me. We, en- we ended up with a, um, it was a, it was a National Express coach is the only way I could get back to my car, which was in the car park. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, there are occasions where we will do that. It, it's a fine balance, of course, because we're under, 
you know, environmental pressure as mm. well with regards to burning fuel. And, and that, that's that's a big factor. Airlines have to pay, you know, a CO2 tax. Mm. So uh, we can probably talk about that on a on yeah. another one of these. But um, uh, ultimately, what we're trying to do is to please as many as people as we possibly can as often as we can. Indeed. Well, as always, a very complicated subject, eloquently explained. Captain Al, thank you. You're most welcome. You know, it's one of those things that always um, kind of jumps up at the last minute when you're sometimes booking to go on holiday somewhere. What, you think, turtles? Oh, no, the weather. <laughs> oh, right, the weather, yes. <laughs> Especially if you live in the UK here, where we've gone from having glorious sunshine and nearly we nearly hit 30 degrees celsius we did. Uh, yes, last week yes. and now it's like we're in the amazon rainforest monsoon season wow you're never happy are you no um, I, I <laughs> <laughs> one minute it's lovely and glorious the minute we can get out to malta the better the sooner oh, the better there are, i would like to point out there are other places in the I know, world that I know. exist that are equally as nice <sighs> i know so, anyway, big thank you to uh, to Captain Al and to you as well, Matt, for putting that you. together. Yep. So, uh, well done. And uh, is there more more in the can for... Um... Uh, so, that's actually the end of the series for a little while. <gasps> okay. Yeah, so, okay. a little bit of a break for summer. Okay. And then, yes, a new series will be starting very soon. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. So yes, theory, series three, I think, is it? Look forward to it. No, that. series four, apparently. I'm being told off in my ear already. <laughs> okay, okay. Producer can't remember. That's that's good. Lovely. Happy days. <laughs> So, uh, as we said at the start of the show, we have got a special guest who has joined us. And uh, for those of you who uh, fly around the world or fly around the UK and the world uh, using uh, flight planning apps, will probably have used Sky Demon at one point in time. Uh, I know I have when I've flown uh, GA before with uh, with Stuart, our good friend Stuart. And uh, also, it works. I'm pleased to say, works with X Plane Eleven as well, oh, very well. And it gives me. <laughs> and it the gives man me, is obsessed. I know, I know. Oh, Honestly, gonna, if anybody gets to see his setup, it's the most ridiculous <laughs> setup that he's built in his home. I, I, I still don't understand how you got that past the wife. I know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So a big warm welcome uh, onto the show from Sky Demon. It's Rob Hart. Hi. Hi. Hello, Rob. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Um, yeah, you know, just uh, ticking over. Um, been at work today, and yeah, here to do this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Excellent. Yeah. So, Rob, explain to us a bit about uh, what you uh, what you do at Sky Demon. Um, well, I mean, my role is basically sales and marketing. Um, but, I mean, it's a very small company. So, as you can imagine, I have a lot of different hats. Officially speaking, I'm in sales and marketing. But we do a little bit of everything. Everybody kind of chips in. Um, you know, we're all involved in the development process. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a happy little team. Um, just, uh, well, there's four of us really. Um, and, uh, yeah, pretty much all of us working together, super lean organization. Um, yeah, we, we're, we're doing all kinds of things behind the scenes every day. So how did you uh, get started with Sky Demon, Rob? Where was that move? Were you originally working in aviation or did you just go from one complete different subject to oh, yeah no completely different um so i'm basically a jack of all trades really i've worked in all kinds of different departments in all kinds of different businesses ranging from being a quality controller in a trifle factory to working in a timber yard hello sorry you have my attention 
Sorry. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. One, one of the only guys on the shop floor who's licensed to carry a spoon. Pretty cool. Wow, yeah. um, no, that is a claim to fame, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. But but you know, those days are behind me. And um, basically, the situation was that I, you know, had, had just finished a job, um, and friends of mine had just turned around to me and said, "Hey, Rob, you know, I've been learning how to fly. Well, I've made this thing, and you know, um, do you want to come and?" help see if we can get it off the ground no pun intended um and uh yeah he we, we just weren't sure if it was going to turn into anything um and you know and here we are 10 years later so yeah, forgive really my good. sort of my naivety here because as i say I, uh, my, my role here is that i don't really know a great deal about aviation <laughs> and I, right. I, I mean i've heard everybody say the word sky demon it's been brought to my attention but but what is sky demon what what is it what is it about and what is its role Right. So in a nutshell, it's flight planning and navigation software. Um, the whole point of it is that, you know, as you know, pilots have to gather together information from all kinds of different sources. And, um, you know, national aviation authorities, they've got a mandate to produce this data and to present it to pilots. But there's nothing in that mandate that says that it has to be in a clear, usable, you know, friendly format. And so what we're effectively doing is taking all of that data from various different sources and all pulling it together and basically making it digestible, mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, and that was how Skydiving came to be born, really. The guy who made it, Tim, um, I'm, you know, we're old school friends. He got his PPL and... Um, you know, the first thing he realized was that every flight that he was planning, even if it's just like a 30 minute flight, mm. he was taking upwards of two hours to plan out, plan that out properly. And he was starting to see after a little bit of time that, you know, there are some places where you start to cut corners, you know, and you may be, you know, you might start to gloss over no tams a little bit instead of reading them properly, or you might not do as thorough and um, an alternative route plan, you know, in, in case things go wrong. So he designed Skydemon just for him to simplify his planning process. And then, you know, he's using that down at the airfield on a little laptop and Pete, you know, guys peering over his shoulder and saying, oh, what's this? This is nice. Mm. Oh, can I have a go? Yeah. And, um, and before long, after everybody at the airfield was using it, he, um, you know, somebody said to him, you really should put this on the market because it's pretty good and he just he it never never crossed his mind he'd literally only made it for his own use um but here we are i mean sometimes that's yeah. that, that's the best thing though isn't it that, that the, you know innovation often comes out of something that you think you need as you say right. you, you come out to the an, end of it there and you just think and somebody else says to you you should sell that because i think that's mm. really good you know i mean that yeah that that is the thing and that's the best development in the world as far as i'm concerned is like you know you've made something uh for your own use if you like to mm. to help you get through things so 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 it's collating things like the notams data and and things like that as well is it so it all goes in yeah. together as a flight pan i mean that's that's the idea but mm. what kind of makes sky demon a little bit different i think is that a lot of these products that are out on the market right now are made by guys who were pilots first yeah. and software developers second. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so Tim, actually, he got his PPL after he you know, run a couple of successful software businesses. Um, you know, we didn't have to get any investment. He literally, you know, mm. it was just something that he did because he, 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 he 
you know had a bit of money and he had a bit of spare time and he could afford to do it yeah um and uh yeah it's kind of you know it's kind of just grown up from that and his speciality is in user interfaces oh wow yeah um so it's like there's just stuff that he he's learned over years i mean he's been writing code since we were in school he made his first software product when he was 15 um so you know he's got a really long history of that even though we're kind of you know i suppose relatively young in the in the industry yeah um but yeah so he's really focused on simplicity and clarity and how the human interacts with their phone and yeah. and how to get the information into their brain as fast as possible Indeed. so that yeah that's his that's his whole deal We'll have some questions from the chat room in a moment, but Alex Robinson's got a, a very a very quick comment that he said it's not a question, uh, but he wanted to say that the new feature showing areas that have flyable weather is brilliant. Mm. Thanks. Is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Rob, you. That's actually, Thank you. Uh, that's actually a great thing. So how do you how do you guys develop new, either new features? So here you are, ten years later. How mm. do you guys take that feedback? from either pilots or, or other organizations and incorporated into either new releases or new features? Yeah, well, basically, our development process involves all of us getting together in the office. Um, well, actually, we used to take a, an evening out once a month and have a steak dinner together and then do the Brilliant. meeting at, at a I'm restaurant. All, I'm so. already hooked. <laughs> yeah, it, it really some some quite fun evenings as yeah. well as getting some work done. But basically, you know, every day guys are coming to us and saying, I've got this idea, I've got this suggestion, I'm having this problem, you know, don't think this is working right, you know, whatever. And, you know, everything goes in the list, everything goes in the pot. And then it's kind of like a, a constant cost-benefit analysis being done where me and um, – it's actually my sister who, who works. If you ever pick up the phone to Skydy, I mean, you'll, you'll talk to Hannah. In many ways, she's better than me. Right, okay. Um, oh, well, perhaps we should but, have her on, sorry. But perhaps. Well, she, she, she's not the face. I'm the no, face. Okay, she's, she's, she's the brains. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But, but, uh, but no, so basically, we all kind of, her and I, we're constantly interfacing with the customers. We basically pull together all the ideas and kind of say, okay, what are the hot topics? Um, you know, sometimes you get a few number of guys who have a really great idea, and and you know, it just needs a little bit of a little bit of work between us to get the idea in a form that can then be passed over to Tim. So, um, and then he then works his magic and makes it happen. Um, and the neat thing is about our development process is that. Because the owner of the business and the managing director and the software developer are all the same guy, mm. there's no conflict. Once it's clear that something needs to be done, yeah. the guy who makes the decision and the guy who takes it forward, uh, you know, they're the same guy. Yeah. And it's, it really makes us so agile. So it's literally, um, I mean, if it's a good idea, essentially, then then you think, yeah, we need to find a way of doing that. That's a great feature for the app. You, well, you, have, you haven't got to get it past 15 different people to, to, to indeed. get the work done. Yeah. Yeah, it's nothing. Nothing's done by kind of committee. It's all very organic and, and based on immediate demand and, and requirement. But that being said, sometimes we've had stonkingly good ideas, and you know we've put it through the development process, and Tim's made a prototype. But then we've all looked at it and we've gone, mm. it doesn't. It doesn't quite feel very smooth. Like, is there some way that we can? 
you know, is there some way that we can tighten this up? And there's prototypes of features which have never been released, just sitting on Tim's computer, waiting for the day when we go, ah, now we know how we can make this cool. Right. Or, or, yeah. or, you know, maybe the 4G network has suddenly become a bit more robust and yeah. can support more data flow. Or, you know, there's, there, there are all kinds of reasons why we might, you know, why we might not proceed with something. Um, so, yeah, it's not, just the, it's not just about the idea being good. If the outcome isn't clear and obviously useful, then it gets discarded. Yeah. And, and, you know, we get a, a process, Tim says, uh, he kind of jokes about it, but it's, it's quite a good principle. He says for every button that you add to Skydemon, you halve the number of people who want to use it. Um, wow. So he's always looking, you know, if I want to add something new to Skydemon, he says to me, all right, find a place for me to take a button away from somewhere else. You want a button for that? take a button away how are we going to make something context sensitive or automatic in a way that doesn't need a button anymore mm. um so yeah that's that's kind of our development process you know the the main points of it anyway it's obviously a bit more in depth than that but broadly speaking yeah armando well yeah that's an amazing way to approach it because i know uh, here in the United States, we have ForeFlight, and ForeFlight has mm. pretty much become the industry leader here in the U.S. for flight planning software. However, I do also fly with a lot of, uh, let's see, demographically advanced individuals. Uh, <laughs> that, smooth, very smooth. Right. And, yeah. and the more features that come out, the more menus and submenus come out. Now, that means I, I, I'm a huge fan of ForeFlight. I'm a corporate pilot, and, and mm. I use it for many, many different purposes. But mm. you are entirely correct in that it sometimes gets a little bit overwhelming for someone. And then the learning curve, which is what I really, really appreciated about Skydemon. And mm. um, I'm getting to a question here. I, so this is almost a personal thank you, because as an American pilot, flying over in Europe and, and I flew over there general aviation for um, about, about six years or so. The regulations are so incredibly different. And one of the first things that I was given was, was this uh, laminated. <laughs> paper. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm those. sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. And then, yeah. and then I was flying in this general area where there's, there's not a lot of controlled airspace. And I was essentially just told stay away from anything here, which is basically London to Birmingham, if you draw a, a, a line. Right. And they just said, with your American accent, please stay out of controlled airspace. And my only thing that I had to use was Skydemon. And mm. uh, your product helped me navigate, quite literally, navigate the skies of the UK um, safely and legally because of that simple user interface because I was already overwhelmed right. with the communications and regulations um, mm. that were so different. So, so a personal thank you for, to you and, and Tim and the team for, for doing that, because that, that made it absolutely palatable. Um, yeah. Now, See, uh, that, and that's, that's what we're all about. That makes me really happy to hear, you know, every time I hear about a pilot being able to, 
go further with more confidence. Doesn't matter the context. I love it. I love it. See, now, Armando's being terribly modest here because uh, Armando, uh, while he was here in the, in, in the UK, was actually, uh, you know, based at Mildenhall. Um, right and um as i say so so from uh, a military pilot to give you praise like that yeah. is is praise indeed yeah. oh well no I, I i love it i you know it just it's all great to me like armando's just a pilot who who found a use for sky demon to to make his flying easier that that's exactly what my job is and you know that's fulfillment for me so great cool nice one man thanks <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and that kind of leads to uh, one question, right? Since our our the the majority of our listener for PT listenership for PTUK is actually in the United States. What right. so people here are familiar with ForeFlight? What are some of the fundamental differences between Skydemon and ForeFlight? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all kind of we're all kind of doing the same thing, right? It's it's to some extent it's about the feel of it. You know, um, the the feel of a product. Uh, the the two things kind of feel a little bit different in the way that you use them. But I think it's more to do with the markets that each product relatively serves. I mean, you know, we do have American data. The FAA are great when it comes to data. We just get it free. So we've always had an American chart, even though. I've never done any official sales um, in America just because it's so trivially easy to just drop the data into Skydemon. But the reality is, is the aviation over there is is so different. You know, there's, I mean, well, we, we could probably talk for hours of the differences of it, but we have mainly focused with Skydemon in looking at how fragmented European aviation is. Because like you mentioned just now, You've got these different regulations. They're so wild, you, you know, you don't, you don't really, it takes a little while to get used to what's going on. And it's the same for a UK pilot flying in France. And then he flies into Germany and then Poland. And you like, there was so much fragmentation. The idea of pulling together all these different chart styles and kind of putting them together in one uniform format. That's the kind of market Skydemon serves. It doesn't really serve the high-tech market. And obviously in America, you've got, you know, you've got so many additional systems and support structures for pilots, which, you know, just, just don't exist over here. Uh, we're only just starting to wrap our heads around ADSB, you know. Um, so I think it's just that we've developed in these two different ecosystems. And, you know, we, we kind of, we have some customers in each other's markets, but broadly, I think we're serving our own markets really well. And I think there's a place for, for both of us in the world. Um, I suppose the other major difference is, is that Skydemon is always really going to be VFR focused. Um, whereas I think Flight does a bit more kind of mixed stuff, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. We, we, we can file our ifr flight plans and receive a pre-departure clearance um mm. and and this actually is another great question so the evolution of four flight i think began as a, a vfr flight planning tool and it has mm. evolved all the way into military aviation with military map letter my map layers there's an a military electronic flight bag option to four flight and then doing things integration into the national aerospace system and I, I feel like that's exactly 
the right point for Sky Demon and Foreflight to diverge. Right. Um, and so how how do you foresee Sky Demon evolving in the future uh, while mm. maintaining its roots like that in VFR flying? Well, I think as long as we keep you know keep working with the development ethos we've had of like you know um, we. We never kind of just implement a feature because somebody asks for it or because it's in another product. Um, we're looking at what's the problem that the pilot's trying to solve? Can we try and solve it in a way that he never even imagined was possible? Um, and I think as long as we kind of stick to that, then we're going to be okay. At the end of the day, we're all about the the flying fundamentals. That I think that's our kind of our kind of deal. Um, we're always going to be focused on the grassroots pilots who, you know, you, a lot of people like to think pilots are made of money. Um, but, you know, we, we all know that that's not true. Um, and, you know, just being able to support guys for whom it's fun and, and, and it's a hobby and we want to keep it fun. You know, um, I think that as long as we keep going in that direction, then whatever we do, we'll be making use of whatever systems get developed, whatever support structures get developed. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll do a little bit of IFR stuff as well. Um, I think over the last four years or so, we've done like one IFR development each year just because we've gone, oh, okay. Uh, we developed some georeferencing tools basically mm -hmm. for, for paper maps. And at one point we went, well, hang on a minute, we can just georeference the national AIP documents. So we'll just allocate some time to that. Um, and it's just because, you know, eventually things become cost effective and, and they just work. So we do them. Yeah. Are you guys integrating with flight schools? So as, as instructors also move away from these laminated paper maps, mm. um, have you had feedback from flight schools and, and the way is kind even being used in, in flight instruction or primary instruction? I mean, we, what we kind of, we, we, while it's obviously great that we get recommended to new pilots and, and as a sales and marketing guy, obviously I love that. <laughs> um, but, um, it's, it's something where I, I, I like being the default, but I'm not sure that, that it's, you know, it's not something that we're pushing for. Um, I think some flight instructors just really like Skydemon because it's nice and simple. And I've certainly had some, um, CFIs come to me and, and uh, you know, when they're talking about um, putting something on the syllabus themselves, like adding little modules in for um, smart use of GPS, you know, we're always very careful to say, we, I, I'm talking to you now, just very broadly, you know, I'm, I'm taking my Skydemon hat off. These are some good tips for, for good GPS use, keeping your charts up to date, device management, you know, the, the tech side of things that isn't really the product. Um, and you can apply those to all, all these other products as well. Um, but I think that ultimately, you know, once they kind of see that we know what we're talking about, they'll tend to lean towards us anyway. So, Do, do you think you know, some, some of that actually is in, in the schools, you know, when, when you're talking like ground schools and things where they're, they're learning the, their craft, oh, yeah. if you like, do you, do, is it perhaps one of those where it's important that they learn you know the, the the manual way of doing it perhaps as a way of sort of because those skills are obviously going to be very useful to people using sky demon as well presumably because it's that it's that sort of crossover isn't mm. it it's I, I don't know is, is there an, an argument there that perhaps you know learning the, the the grassroots of of aviation and flying is actually 
as important as mm. having access to 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 apps perhaps well i i think that's yeah i mean that's an ongoing debate mm. and i would tend i think that there's definitely value in doing uh, making sure that the fundamental paper methods are at least understood yeah um i think it's you know it's probably going to be a good thing to make sure that um the maths is is understood mm. because at the end of the day that you know if something goes horribly wrong and you lose power and all of your devices fail you need to have a couple of rules of thumb to be able to just get you out of that sticky Absolutely. situation yeah. whether you know and and for a lot of guys um it, it's just um just calling for help just getting on the radio yeah. um and but you know skydemon is effectively a complex flight computer and if you don't have an idea about what the maths is doing under the hood, yeah. then if it does all fall apart, yeah. then, you know, you, you just kind of don't know. Your device was being doing the thinking for you. Yeah. But we kind of try to... One of the things that we always try to do it's is avoid automation. Well, that's the idea. Yeah. 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 But I mean... Of- yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where we don't want to automate things too much and take decisions out of the pilot's hands. You know, we want to empower those decisions. Yeah. But I think that as soon as a pilot starts to feel that he can't go flying without Sky Demon, you know, obviously that's great for me, me as a sales pitch. Yes, of course. But, it, you know, it's something which he's probably going to be a little bit concerned about. Absolutely. Yeah. Rich, Richard Adams is actually saying, he's adding to that, he's saying not sure how many GA pilots could still remember the whiz wheel after oh, a few blimey, years. Yeah. Having, a, having a chart properly marked up as a backup is absolutely essential. So, yeah, mm. I think that I think that's yeah. a, a good call, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would always say that within Skydemon, when you've done your planning, you can bounce your route over to a second device to go flying with it. You can then print off, we make a briefing pack with, like, you know, en route charts of the, you know, all the same stuff that you would see on your screen, pilot's log, no time briefing, all of that. Great if you get ramp checked and also if all the power goes out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Those are exactly all the features that I would use uh, because I was, Mm. as a military aviator, I was used to having a, a, a kneeboard format, but there was no need to have a, a, a full-on marked-up map with with uh, time hacks and all these things, because I, I did. I had Sky Demon on my iPad with a Jeep, and then on my phone that still had good good enough GPS signal. If my mm. iPad and GPS failed, I still had Sky Demon on my phone <laughs> with an internal GPS, and on top of that, I had printed out all the Sky Demon products Perfect. with that redundancy. Yeah, it was, it was Perfect. Anyone would have thought he's ex-military. <laughs> I, I do have yeah. one one quick question before we move on to Carlos's uh, dream world of uh, flight simulators. Oh right, I, yeah, okay. And I suppose you can make this a, a short answer by not answering it. But uh, are, are, has Sky Demon had to overcome any regulatory or regulatory authority challenges? Such as you know, you must have a paper map. Well, how do you how do you change that mindset that you can have, mm. you know, a copy of Skydemon or two copies of Skydemon or any other regulatory challenges? Yeah, I mean that was always a big challenge in the opening days. Um, you know, when you turn around to a guy and and you say, "I know that you've been using the CAA chart for your entire flying career, but just for a moment, let's take a look at this." You know, for some guys, just the difference in style and the habits that they've built up over years meant that they couldn't come near Skydemon just because it was actually more complex for them to relearn. Hmm. 
Um, so that was a kind of challenge. Um, and in some countries in Europe in the early days, there was a legal requirement to have that particular country's ICAO chart uh, available to them you know, when they fly. But I think, you know, pilots, you know, will will sometimes, you know, maybe bend the rules a little bit. And if they're only going and flying Austria once a year, you know, do they really need to be buying that chart? I've got it here on this Skydemon thing. I can just press a button and download it. So that's good enough. I'll probably, you know, I'll, I'll probably just go with that. And and so we've that's kind of how it's been going on for a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, EASA, uh, yeah, I think it was 2016, um, they pushed out their new regulation or regulatory change, which was basically revising for non-commercial operations what the pilot needs. And now that's a level playing field in Europe. It's just basically the pilot must decide, the pilot must recognize that he's got up-to-date briefing information for the entire duration of his flight, and it will be available to him for the entire duration of his flight. It doesn't make any mention of formats. It doesn't make any mention of paper. Simple, clean, you know, nice for the open market, really good. So I would say it's not so much that we've had hurdles. It's that just that hurdles have been getting out of our way. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as various organizations and authorities have seen, you know, we, we, we've helped pilots to read their note apps. You know, that's something which the regulator was having trouble with you know, for, for a while, this idea that, well, we're putting this information out. Why aren't they reading it? Yeah. And all it takes is, you know, drawing them on the map, pulling them on in a nice, clear, legible format. Yeah. And I think, um, I, and I, mean, I think that, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a pilot and I've only seen like the no Tams list like a couple of times when we've been at air shows and stuff. And I take mm. one look at it and just think that's so much information do you know what i mean as you say but at least yeah. if it's been put on as you say but been sort of not not drawn in map form but you know where it's been added onto the map at places where it's important it right they, they the the ones that matter jump out at you better mm-hmm. indeed yeah. yeah completely so okay That's I'm, I'm, I'm dreading this bit now so we're, 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 gonna, <laughs> we're, we're now moving on to uh the the, uh, the wacky world of cars right, here we go uh, here we go yeah, get comfortable everyone this could be a, cool. a, a quite a session <laughs> buckle up, honestly buckle up. excuse yeah. me honestly boys come on <laughs> no rob honestly um one of the uh, one of the the best features i think for me um because i don't get the chance to fly much now ga because um well it's just not been too great the last sort of 12 months but anyway uh, no um, has there been something going on there? yeah there has yeah. has there okay. but uh, i have i have a, <laughs> have a built um a, a small little sim setup at home um at home and also one of the greatest features i think you've got with sky demon is the fact that you can um, use sky demon alongside x-plane 11 and it's right. so easy to use you just literally put sky demon on click on use x-plane instead of using the location services and it runs absolutely seamlessly alongside X-Plane. I mean, whose idea was it to to, to move mm. from kind of real or say real time from real world to to the sim kind of world. Right. Well, um I mean we uh, we created the simulator in the iPad version. Um originally it was just kind of for debug purposes just so that we could, you know, just test how Skydeam was working. And um, we left it in because as we were kind of using it and, and in some cases demoing it at shows, 
it was something which I started to realize was a potentially useful planning tool. You know, the idea of being able to plan a flight and then kind of pre-fly it. You know, just just in that day, in those days, we were just moving the uh, aircraft symbol around with our finger. Um, But uh, I'm going to name check Jonathan Smith here, um, guy in uh, UK, GA. I think uh, he I don't think he works for uh, Nats or the CA anymore, but he used to. He's good, good egg. Um, He was pushing for a little while to get X-plane integration. You know, he was doing some flight simming at home and he was kind of chatting to us every now and again when we go out for a drink or something. Well, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be nice if you could, you know, link these two up, take that simulator idea, but then actually, <laughs> you know, make it into a, you're, you're supporting simulator pilots for real as well. Uh, it did take a bit of convincing because uh, I think Tim, you know, when he was originally kind of you know listening to this idea he was like do i want to dedicate development resources to this Mm. (laughs) is it going to be a pain um but in the end in the end what we did was we just got jonathan round he brought his pc around to the office we sat him down and we just did i think it was uh 48 hours worth of development work and you know, managed to link them up. And yeah, they've just been working for successive versions of X-Plane ever since. So uh, no, um, I'm, I'm hoping you can still see your, your screen uh, here, Rob, because uh, our producer has just pinged me a couple of photographs. So this is a, this is a couple of pictures of Carlos's setup. All right, he doesn't know I've got these. Uh, so, so this gives you an idea. So this is, this oh, is wow. the setup that, uh, that oh, wow. our friend has gone absolutely. And you can just see your product there in the corner yeah, uh, on an iPad just underneath the left-hand screen there. Uh, I mean... Awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's... I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm amazed he's still married, um, <laughs> if I'm brutally honest. Um, but so oh, it's, it's cool. I, I mean, I, I, we, I'm going to send you that picture because I do think you need to send Please. that to Tim just yeah. to highlight yeah. that actually all that development <laughs> that you've done has created this monster that now sits to my right hand side. Oh. It, it's uh, it's uh, it's an incredible thing there, really. So yeah, it, it's getting indeed. used. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's that's marvelous. And at the end of the day, you know, it's it's all just it's all just planning and executing flights, isn't it? And that's that's what we're that's what we're doing. That's what it's all about. Um, and yeah, being able to plan. I mean, I, I, I haven't actually played around with X Plane Eleven. Can you like, you know, can you like import real world weather conditions into yeah. it and everything? Yeah, the, the, when you when you run the cool. uh, when you run Sky Demon alongside X Plane Eleven, it, it brings in real world weather, real world no tams. All the the flight plan and part of it is exactly as <laughs> is in real time. And and oh, I have cool. I I have sat there and I have flown an entire. Uh, two hour and fifty five minute flight from Stansted to Malta using Sky Sweet. Demon, and cool. it is brilliant. Absolutely I have no fantastic. Words. I have no words. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's 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 fun. It sounds like fun to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. Have, I mean, is there ways with the with Sky Demon, Rob, that you can find out kind of you know how it's being used? Because obviously, like you say, I, I'm using it with with X Plane. I suppose with the pandemic and everything that's been going on over the last sort of year year plus mm. um i suppose you probably see more and more people or pilots or people like me who are probably using sky demon more with sims what like like explain i think there's definitely been an uptick in it yeah for sure um you know there's not been a lot of flying done by by guys but then saying that i think pilots generally speaking once you've been up there and you've kind of 
and you've looked down on the world, you're always kind of mentally there a little bit. So whether it's getting into a flight simulator or whether it's, you know, sitting down with Sky Demon and instead of watching the TV, you just plan the fantasy flight that you've you've always wanted to do. And it's just, a, you know, it's just a thing to just to keep your mind in it. Um, so I think there's been a combination of those two things. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah. I was going to say, Rob, before we move on to kind of the next sort of part of the questions, but it, is there 